a uh, big problem that has had lots of names, both big and small names attached to it, uh, reared its head again this week in the uh, shape and form of Whoopi Goldberg. Uh, for the record, I think her actual name is Karen Elaine Johnson. Okay. So uh, if you've been living under a rock and you don't know what I'm talking about, this past week, uh, Whoopi Goldberg found herself in the midst of a flaming controversy where she said that the Jews, uh, that what happened to the Jews during the Shoah, the Holocaust, had nothing to do with race. Of course, it flies in the face of the facts, at the very least that the propaganda the Nazis themselves were disseminating, and that being that the, the Jews, they argued, were, in their language, they expressed it as was untermenschen, that we were a lower race of people. But it begs the question, of course, is that if the Nazis were wrong, and I think they were, obviously, if the Nazis are wrong that the Jews are not a race, then what are the Jews that lost in the midst of the conversations that emerged from Whoopi Goldberg's faux pas is the great question for us to think about that if the Nazis were wrong, and in fact they were, the Jews are not a race, then what are the Jews? Or maybe put more bluntly, who are we? <laughs> On one hand, you might be inclined to say the Jews are a culture. It's not true. One little story I'll throw out your way. Years and years and years ago, a very good friend of mine who was a Moroccan Jew, his father was the chief rabbi of Akko in northern Israel. His sister was getting married to a nice Jewish boy from Chicago, Ashkenazic boy. Anyway, on the Shabbat before the wedding, all the family from New York came over, excuse me, from Chicago came over in the United States. They all squeeze into the small apartment in uh, Akko. And uh, who do they sit the Polish Zaidi next to? Me. Right? They figure, you know, one Ashkenazic person to another, sit them next to each other. Anyways, they start bringing out, if you've ever had the good fortune of being at a Moroccan Shabbat dinner, you'll know, colorful, flavorful, beautiful food, one thing after another, Moroccan fish, the salads, the soups, the whole thing. And uh, the Polish Jew looks at me, the Zaydu looks at me when they bring out the fish, and he goes, what are these, Jews? Now, I laughed about it, but he was actually serious. The Jews are not a culture. Yes, there's culture to European Jews, but even amongst the European Jews, there are different cultures. They have sweet kugel and salty kugel, sweet gefilte fish and salty gefilte fish. If you're from Russian and Poland, you like one. If you're Western European, you like another. Not only that, but amongst the European Jews, they spoke different languages. The Jews of Western Europe didn't like to speak Yiddish. And not only even to take about the larger Jewish world of Jews from, Mor from Morocco, Spain, Portugal, Syria, Iraq. It goes on and on. We're not just a culture. And you might also say to me, you know what, maybe the Jews are a nationality. But we're not. If you don't have a passport, stamped on your thing saying that you're a Jew, it's not a nationality, at least from a legal sense. Now, to understand part of this question and the answer, you got to look back at something. 
And to do this, it's a bit of a thought exercise. Try to imagine a time in the world where you walked into a room and you couldn't flip a switch to turn on a light. Just try to imagine that. Try to imagine a world where if you had to get in touch with somebody, you couldn't pick up a phone. Try to imagine that world. And now to crawl into that world, imagine that that was the kind of world where there were Englishmen and Frenchmen and German people, but the Jews were not those people. A Jew could never be a Frenchman. He could never or she could never be an English person. You were a Jew. So how did it happen that you could be Canadian? That I was an American. That if I go to Germany, I could become a German. How did that happen? That the Jews secured political emancipation to the point where they could be a member of those people. So in 1743, there was a 14-year-old boy who made his way to Berlin from Dessau. It's about a four or five day walk, give or take. And he made his way through one of the medieval city gates. It was called Rosenthalator. And he made his way through the Rosenthalator because that was the only gate that was allowed for Jews to go through, to enter into Berlin. The other, that gate was also um, reserved exclusively <coughs> for animals and waste to go in and out. Uh, he was, as I said, he was 14 years old. His name was Moses. His last name was Mendelssohn. Within 20 years, Moses Mendelssohn would emerge both to Jews and non-Jews to be given the name the Socrates of Berlin. He beat Immanuel Kant in a philosophical contest. He came in first place. Kant, the great German philosopher, the existential thinker, got notable mention. That's how great he was. Mendelssohn was kind of a shining light to the Jews <coughs> of Berlin and Germany. The thought that maybe the Jews could be accepted as equals. Maybe. But something terrible came by way of his, in his 20th year in Berlin. As his fame rose and rose and Christian theologians and politicians and noblemen began praising Mendelssohn as the great savior of the Jewish people and of Germany and all these other things. One of his best friends was a leading uh, Christian theologian by the name of Lessing, who wrote a, wrote a famous play. He gets challenged to a debate by a Christian theologian by the name of Johann Lavater. Lavater was challenging him to refute Christianity, to debate him on the merits of Christianity versus Judaism. And Mendelssohn knew as soon as the invitation came that this was a lose-lose proposition. There's no winning this debate. Because if Mendelssohn proves Christianity wrong, he loses. And in all probability, he asked to pick up and leave Berlin and the Jews of Berlin and Germany are thrown into turmoil once again. If he loses, the Jews of Berlin and Germany 
lose to. Because then Lavater's argument is that if Christianity is superior to, Jew to Judaism, then everyone should just convert. So when you can't win the game, my friends, what do you do? You change the rules of the game. So what does Mendelssohn do? Mendelssohn goes out and writes one of the most important pieces of philosophical work in the past 300 years. It's called Jerusalem. On the limits of religious power. He goes on to argue and make an idea that would forever change the world that you and I and our children and our grandchildren and our grandparents lived in. He argued the idea that there should be a separation of church and state. That the church, that the state should have no business telling people what to believe and how they worship and what they do in their life other than on legal matters. And then Mendelssohn uttered these faithful words. Judaism, he said, the Jews, what they believe, this Judaism, it's a religion. And because it's a religion, they can be Germans too. Or Canadians. There's no competition. So what are the Jews? It's an excellent question. On one hand, you might say to yourself that the words that Mendelssohn uttered were utterly correct. But the fact of the matter is, is that until Mendelssohn lived and breathed those words, to say that Judaism was just a religion might not be so accurate. That the Jews lived for thousands of years knowing that they were something utterly distinct from everything else around them. That there was a language that bind us. That there was a story and history that bound us. That there was a measure of law and organization that the Jews lived by, separate and distinct from the rest of the world, wherever they were, be it amongst the Muslims or amongst the Christians. That gap and identity between what the Jews were and what the Gentile world was, was separate and distinct and known to them, even to a point that it brought discrimination their way, and many times it was often very, very lethal too. But perhaps the best example I can give you, us, this most blessed, fortunate generation of Jews who have ever lived, ever lived, is this example. You know that feeling when you get, when you hear the Hatikva song? Or maybe when you're at the airport, should be soon, by the way, and you see an El Al plane with the Mugging David on it? Or maybe when you go to Israel and people who go there, what they come back reporting what they feel, that Israel is a reminder to us that it's not just religion and it's not just culture, but that there is something that is of those parts but greater than those parts. The Shoah was not about, was not about the, what Whoopi Goldberg was trying to, 
presented our mind. Of course it was about race from the perspective of the Nazis. But who the Jews are, who you are, doesn't fit into the neat little boxes of North American racial politics. And that's the problem. You don't have white privilege, my friends. And don't let anybody think or tell you that for a moment. Don't ever apologize for the color of your skin. Be it if it's white or it's brown or dark or yellow or purple, whatever it is. Because there is no privilege, politically, racially or otherwise, of being a Jew. You have the history to prove that. But I think also there's something to be said that perhaps Moses Mendelssohn, unbeknownst to him, despite all the great benefits that it has brought us as human beings, the political emancipation, unbeknownst to him, he may have made a terrible mistake. And the mistake is, is that in declaring Judaism to only being a religion, is that it enables people to say, if I don't believe, I don't have to be a part of that and witness the fact that of the six children that Moses Mendelssohn had in his life, only two remained Jewish, the rest converted to Christianity. Of the 17 grandchildren he would have, only one was buried as a Jew. We are not just religion, my friends. Shabbat Shalom.